Miss Adams, you've certainly had a very interesting educational journey. Eight schools in five years. Hey, freak. This is a close practice. <laughs> the only person who gets to torture my brother is me. did the world a favor. People like Dalton shouldn't be allowed to procreate. Getting expelled was just a bonus. You will love Nevermore. It's a magical place. I met your mother. That's all I love. Finally, you will be among peers who understand you. Maybe you'll even make some friends. Want to take a stab at being social? I do like stabbing. Little did I know I'd be stepping into a nightmare. Full of mystery, mayhem, and murder. I think I'm going to love it here. Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. And I'm Johanna. And I'm Rosie. And today we are talking about the Netflix series Wednesday. Uh, the first season of Wednesday. We've heard that it's gotten renewed for a second season. So there's much rejoicing because now we have something to watch since they took Stranger Things away from us. But before we get into that, what have you been binging, Johanna? I've all told you about Picard, which I've been savoring the last few episodes because I know that this is the last of Jean-Luc Picard I'm likely to see. But lately, I've been catching up on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is, oh. I, I don't know if it counts as geek territory, but I have to say I love seeing women in comedy. And I never get tired of new attempts to show how women can be funny and and different ways and some of the show is pretty silly i am not a fashionista i don't care about her clothes it is not something that i look forward to when i watch the episodes but i do really sympathize with her experience as a mom trying to co-parent with somebody that she's also trying to be friends with and how difficult that can be and it seems like the last season is really great so far. So if you haven't caught up on Mrs. Maisel, last season is really winning and I recommend it. I love that show. So I haven't seen the final season yet. Every time we start watching it, we get sidetracked by another series. <laughs> I watched a few episodes, but it didn't connect with me. I didn't finish it. So it was a, um, 
It's an Amazon. Is it on a Prime? Yeah, it's on Prime. For whatever reason, I never go to Prime. Like, and if I do, if I ever go back to Prime, I'm going to probably finish out Fleabag, which I never finished. What? Oh, man. Talk about great women in comedy. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, leave the podcast right now and go watch season two with the hot priest. (laughs) Yeah, just. (laughs) Part of it is I'm not a comedy person. And so let me come back from comedy to serious, but with a really strong female lead. What I've been watching lately is The Diplomat. Oh, how is that? It is excellent. Now, imagine Veep, okay? (laughs) But instead of being a comedy, it's serious like The West Wing. (laughs) And it's set in the State Department. Now, this may ring a little bit stronger for me because my sister-in-law works for the State Department, but um, it's a nail-biter. It's definitely worth seeing. And I'm only a few episodes in, but check out The Diplomat if you get a chance. To piggyback off of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I haven't seen the last season of, I did just see Alex Borgstein's comedy special, which was amazing. Oh, awesome. Amazing. Yeah, I'm always looking for recommendations there. Yeah, you got to watch it. It's really good. I mean... It's not just straight comedy. It's a whole variety show. She doesn't just do comedy. She does musical numbers. I didn't really know too much about her except for her being the voice for Lois on Family Guy and then being in, you know, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I'd never seen her, like, physically, like, seen her until The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I was like, holy crap, she's built like me and she's like, just a little bit older than me and she's up there on stage so talented so funny i had no idea the range of her talents so i highly recommend watching it it's really funny and and very poignant as well awesome well if you like stand-up that's got a little bit of something extra one of my favorite specials in that category is julio torres's my favorite shapes which I think is probably still streaming on HBO, but it's got a lot of great pop culture and movie references, but it's also a masterpiece in terms of production design. If you like things that are in that comedy and category, I recommend Julio Torres. Excellent. As long as we're all saying comedians, my social media feed has been filled with Taylor Tomlinson. (laughs) She's pretty funny. Apparently she has a special called Look at You. I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up. But apparently she's super popular on TikTok, which is a platform that I'm not on. But she pops up in other social media feeds all the time. Anyway, all I can say is she's hilarious. Oh, yeah. I I remember her. Yeah, she's really funny. She's popped up in my feed, too. Yeah. I was like, who is that? I looked up her picture. (laughs) Let's jump into this week's show. We are talking about the Netflix show Wednesday. I'm going to summarize the first episode and we can talk about it. It's called Wednesday's Child is Full of Woe. This show opens up with Wednesday and she's at the same high school practically that Sabrina goes to, you know, where like, except instead of picking on the girl 
her girlfriend that are picking on her brother. So it Pugsley's tied up in a locker. And when she touches him, she gets a vision of the bullies that did this to him. So already we have this supernatural power that Wednesday has that uh, she doesn't have in any other previous incarnations. But apparently, like, she's a mutant or something, a witch. Who knows when Wednesday's powers come, maybe they manifested in puberty. I don't know. (laughs) So when the bullies are in swim practice, she, like, brings two bags of piranhas and dumps them in the pool. <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty uh, violent Wednesday we got here, and not just toward chopping heads off of dolls. She's sent off to Nevermore Academy in Vermont. Apparently, the Adams family in this version, they live in Vermont. And so is Nevermore Academy. Principal Weems, who. Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah. It turns out Weems is Morticia's old roommate. Morticia and Gomez went to Nevermore Academy. Turns out that's where they met and fell in love. So Weems is impressed with Wednesday's grades and because of the family ties, she decides to let her join Nevermore Academy in the middle of a term. But she's apparently had eight schools in the past five years, which tracks with all the other shows of the Addams Family. Yes. It's mentioned in the very first Addams Family show. It's mentioned in the reboot show. So this is like standard Wednesday. But this Nevermore Academy turns out to be yet another one of these Harry Potter schools. And it's got like different cliques. Her roommate, Enid, who she's combined with, is a werewolf. And she introduces Wednesday to all the different gangs, the little cliques. And one of them is the furs, the werewolves. One is the fangs, which is the vampires. One's the, I love this, the stoners. Those are the gorgons. Yep. And the scales. Those are the sirens. (laughs) She, of course, doesn't fit in any of these categories. So Wednesday's already like kind of a bit of an outsider. Her parents decide to leave Thing to spy on her, although she threatens Thing and, like, gets Thing to work for her instead. Um, Yeah. So, But part of the deal is she has to go to therapy. So she's sent to the nearby town of Jericho, Vermont, which (laughs) my wife asked me, like, is there a Jericho, Vermont? And I'm like, yeah, no, I think that's fictional. Like, (laughs) are you sure? I I don't know. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I haven't been there anyway. It's no, it's it's definitely a real town. <laughs> it is? Oh yeah. No, when I heard it was like, oh, Jericho, like I know where that is. It's in Chicago. Now Duke I gotta County. go. <laughs> for Beetlejuice, I went to the location, so now I gotta go to the location for this. Yeah, population of five thousand. <laughs> wow. This show uh, has a great casting for Gomez. You know, we get a Latin Gomez. Luis Guzman. Luis Guzman. Who's like one of our neighbors here in Vermont. Maybe that's why it's set there. It's like, he's like, all right, I'll do the show, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm I'm only going up the street to do it. That's it. You can't make me drive out of state. Nope. (laughs) Isn't he a spokesman for Cabot Cheese or something like that? Like he loves Cabot Cheese and he's done commercials for them. Maybe I'm making that up. It's totally possible. I know he's dropped in. Wednesday has to go into Jericho to see her therapist, Dr. Kinbot, and she immediately escapes out a window. She tells everybody she's going to run away, and sure enough, she does, but she can't get out of nowhere, Vermont. 
She goes to the local coffee shop where she meets Tyler, the son of the sheriff, actually, who's the barista there. And he agrees to give her a ride after he gets off work. But basically, she's found and sent back to school before he gets off work. So I'm given the very short version of this. But later, she has to go to the harvest fair where she makes plans again to escape with Tyler's help. But. First, she bumps into Rowan and has a vision of his death. She tries to warn him, but he attacks her and reveals that he was the one who tried to kill her when they first came to the school by like trying to drop a gargoyle on her. He claims he's trying to protect Nevermore Academy from an old prophecy that a young girl who looks like Wednesday is going to destroy the school. Before he can actually kill her, though, an actual monster shows up and kills him. Finally, to round things out, Wednesday's parents contact her via crystal ball and she thinks about how she narrowly escaped death on two occasions, found out her father might be a murderer, uncovered the fact that she could one day destroy the school and realized that a homicidal monster actually saved her life. So she says, all in all, she decides to tell her parents she thinks she'll grow to love it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so definitely can't escape the Harry Potterness of it all. Watching this with my 13-year-old, this was definitely a point of appeal for him, the similarity there. But yeah, one of the things I love about the show is right from the get-go there's a lot going on and I didn't know what to expect going into the show, but was pleasantly surprised to discover like, oh, it's going to be a whodunit. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Like, bring it on. And I love Wednesday's relationship with Thing and how it progresses throughout the show. But the setup here is legitimately very funny. And you sort of get a sense of like hijinks will ensue. <laughs> I watched the series all the way through twice. So the episodes I'll be speaking on later, I that was like my third time seeing them. I had a great first impression when I saw the first episode. I was like, this is going to be good. True confession time. I love Riverdale. Okay. So because of Riverdale, I watched Sabrina. Because of Sabrina, I watched Wednesday because I'm a low-key fangirl. Okay. Don't hate me. Don't hate on no, me it's for okay. it. It's um, okay. I just like that dark dark twisty stuff even though Riverdale gets a little bit over the top teen stuff like you know there's no way that they would have an underground speakeasy at a restaurant underneath a diner run by a teenager but it's fantastical so it's whatever but yeah I love the way it started out uh, it was a great way to set the pace for the rest of the series and you know after you've watched it through one time watch it through again because you'll pick up a lot of stuff along the way Extremely impressed, and I love Jenna Ortega. Do you want to take us through episode two, Woe is the Loneliest Number? This is the episode where she starts to kind of integrate in the school a little bit. Her roommate is starting to kind of get her to get involved in things. She even got her to get involved in their uh, annual rowboat race that they do, where all the little cliques have their own teams, and, and, and it's, there are no rules. 
in this game. They can do whatever. I mean, they could kill somebody in this game, and it, and and they get by with it. I guess I don't, I don't know, but I mean, these these kids had had their boats all kinds of set up with things to damage other boats. The sirens at one point had one of their guy sirens hanging in the bushes to kind of help destroy a couple boats in the race in hopes that they would win again. But of course, the team that Wednesday was on won. It was a neat episode to watch her kind of blend in. At one point, she overheard Bianca talking about her behind her back. And after that, they found out that one of the girls that was going to be on the team, who was a fang, she had garlic poisoning. (laughs) So Wednesday was like, that's okay, I'll do it. You know, I want to destroy Bianca. So she did it, and they won, and it was amazing. But Wednesday was also questioned about the night's strange happenings because the boy that was supposedly killed showed up again. So, you know, she's saying, I saw something that happened, but this kid is alive. So, you know, everybody's like, what is up with this girl? And and it moves on from there. And I did notice a lot of foreshadowing in that episode. I I don't want to give any spoilers, but obviously I know who the monster is. And that person who played the monster kind of gave some tells, you could say, through some creative production. (laughs) So I had a flashback to two different other things that seemed like big influences on this. Wasn't there like summer camp competitions in Adam's Family Values also? Yes, yes. So like Wednesday had to participate in that and her and the outcasts of, of the camp, this precedes the whole, you know, Thanksgiving play. But yeah, the, and the other thing is, wasn't there, am I misremembering or wasn't there something like this competition between the different houses in Harry Potter? Yeah, there was, they had, well, they had Cribbage or was it Cribbage? Quidditch. Is that what the game was called? Quidditch. I'll figure it out. Nope. My old, my my inner old lady's coming out oh, now. Oh no, it's not yeah. that. There is a really excellent parody of um, the first Harry Potter movie, which I highly recommend, called "Dear Wizard People," and um, he makes the same joke about you know like, "Oh Harry, I hope you're ready for the cribbage match." Anyway, I so <laughs> it's uh, Brian Neely does does a full narration of the first Harry Potter film. So you watch the movie on silent and listen to his narration. It's hysterical. Anyway, you'll love this, Rosie. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Okay. But I thought there were like, aside from Quidditch, which is the stupidest game in the world, because why would you bother doing anything except for just going after the golden snitch? Because whoever gets the golden snitch wins the game. So like, what's the point of doing all the other stuff, you know? But, um, you know, uh, aside from from Quidditch being the stupidest game ever, like wasn't there some other competition? I seem to remember like sirens and all that jazz too in Harry Potter. In the fourth book, there is the Triwizard Tournament where there is one contestant from each school except Hogwarts where they have two, Harry and Cedric, and Harry's not really supposed to be there. But um, anyway, it's an inter-school championship, but the competition between the houses is sort of like an ongoing year-long thing okay that includes quidditch okay all right i knew i wasn't misremembering that give me a break it's been 20 years since the movies came out you know let's go on to friend or whoa johanna 
I think in the previous episode, we maybe get a little bit of an introduction to Eugene. Wednesday's like maybe only real friend, <laughs> like like someone someone who seems weird like her and and that she gets in a different way. Yes. Um, so in episode three, we get a little bit more of Eugene as she kind of sticks up for him when they're out on the school trip. Episode three, to me, is the one where we really get a sense of the normal townies versus the students. They're on this special field trip to help out at what seems to be the only source of income for the town, which is basically like Pilgrim World. Maybe it's actually literally called Pilgrim World. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I think it is called Pilgrim World. (laughs) Something like that. Um, Anyway, so we start to get a sense in episode three that there is quite a bit of tension between the quote-unquote normals in the town and the students at Nevermore. And this has been a source of strife for a long time. They're on this outreach day so that they can prove that, you know, they can participate in the local society without causing trouble. But then of course, Wednesday does. (laughs) So, um, of of course, course. but, um, part of it is we get a little bit more information in this episode as well about the drawing of the mysterious girl that, she found realizes that this girl was from the pilgrim era and so wednesday against all expectations decides to go participate in this outreach day in order to go investigate more about who the person in the drawing is and what that all means in this episode we learn about joseph crackstone who is a witch hunter basically from back in the day and gives off pretty strong arch villain vibes uh even in episode three oh, yeah. it's pretty clear like whatever mission joseph crackstone was on it's probably not over because the people in the town still seem to have it out for nevermore then the monster makes a reappearance in this episode i th- i think each episode we're required to have some sort of clue about who the monster could or couldn't be <laughs> based upon mm-hmm where and when they appear but in this episode Wednesday discovers that the monster is probably not just a monster but may also be a human who transforms into the monster so the real whodunit part of the story begins this episode also includes an awesome scene where all the students are going to watch the dedication of the special statue of Joseph Crackstone And Wednesday has Thing destroy it in an awesome way (laughs) by filling the fountain with gasoline. And basically, like, the whole thing gets lit on fire and melts. And it's awesome. (laughs) Once again, she's setting pilgrims on fire. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Totally. And uh, tensions seem to be continuing to run high with Principal Weems, who... From the previous episode, we are thinking maybe up to no good, or Wednesday at least thinks might be up to no good. And so continuing to chart our suspicions there. This is, yeah, this is the episode where she makes a reference to the whole Pilgrim stuff from uh, the Adams Family movie. Yeah. I think this whole episode exists so that they could, like, do that. Yeah. (laughs) 
that was the main thing about this that struck me was that it was a definite call back to Adam's family values with the whole Pilgrim world. And they wanted to take it even further. Episode four, Whoa, What a Night, which always makes me think of, of the wedding singer. <laughs> <laughs> so Wednesday sneaks into the coroner's office with the help of Thing, and she learns that the killer is keeping trophies from the victims. The next day, Wednesday finds Xavier's secret art studio on the grounds and breaks in and she sees that he's got all these drawings he's done of the monster. So she takes one and leaves, but as she's leaving, Xavier catches her and asks her what she's doing there. And she asks him the same question. He tells her that it's his private art studio. She can't come up with an excuse for why she's there. So she asks him to the Raven dance instead yeah (laughs) xavier is happy to be asked and thinks that she's really into him which she is like i mean she's suspicious of him but i i actually one of the things i caught about this show and its parallels with sabrina which we talked about in the last episode is this sort of sense of like Mystery, death, darkness, and evil mixed in with teen coming of age, discovering your own sexuality kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. and that it seems like Wednesday has a lot of potential suitors in this series relative to how many suitors you'd think Wednesday would have based on every other incarnation of Wednesday we've seen. Well, I don't know if they're all suitors. You get Xavier... And you get Tyler. Basically, you get the artist and the bad boy. But, like, obviously, the stable, nice guy Eugene is, like, friend-zoned immediately. So. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. But I don't know. I just, I didn't see Love Triangle in the cards for Wednesday based on what we knew about her from the movies and the previous TV shows. But she seems to pretty easily fall into one. Back to the summary of this episode. Enid, Wednesday's roommate, is happy that Wednesday's going to be going to the dance because she's like very into the social thing because, you know, werewolf pack, get it, social creature. So they go dress shopping and it's really a cover. Wednesday agrees to do it so she can get into town. And then she goes off to the sheriff's office and tries to convince the sheriff that they need to work together. He says that they can if she brings him proof in the form of some hard evidence of an actual suspect. The mayor's son, Lucas Walker, asks Enid to take him to the school dance. Wednesday meets Tyler. Remember, he's the barista, son of the sheriff, and he's unhappy to learn she's taking Xavier to the dance. So, yeah, there's a lot of love triangle stuff going on in this one. Later, Wednesday asks Eugene to keep crime scene photos she has in his bee house barn since Enid doesn't want them in her room. And in exchange, Eugene asks her to put in a good word for him with Enid. That's not going to happen either, but whatever. Wednesday sneaks into Xavier's studio to get his DNA so that he can turn it over to the sheriff, but Xavier catches her. And they get into an argument and it results in them breaking off the date for the dance. Wednesday's managed to get a DNA sample anyway. 
Meanwhile, Thing sent Tyler a note pretending to be Wednesday asking him to the dance. So basically Thing is being the matchmaker here and uses the five finger discount (laughs) to get Wednesday the dress, also known as the Winona Ryder, the five finger discount. Mm. Xavier is... (laughs) Sorry, you're terrible. I have to apologize to Winona. Anyway, Xavier is upset seeing Tyler and Wednesday together. So he asked his date, Bianca, to use her siren power to help him get over Wednesday, which pisses her off and she bails. Lucas starts to like Enid, but ultimately he and all his friends who are townies plan to betray her and they're going to drench the entire dance in red paint, which they do in a major callback to the movie that Rosie watched instead of watching the movie she was supposed to watch (laughs) when we were were doing Christine. (laughs) Yes. Carrie. My bad. My bad. Yeah, Carrie. Yep. So this should seem familiar for you. I was waiting for you to give me crap about that. <laughs> Finally, Wednesday gets a vision of Eugene being attacked. She rushes to save him, but when she gets there, the attacks already happen and he's barely alive. This was the episode of the famous dance scene that everybody was talking about on the internet that she did, where she drew from old footage of goth clubs and and things like that to put together her dance moves like she choreographed that whole thing herself and it was very impressive and i loved her dress i told you we'd come back to it sabrina dance versus wednesday 1.0 dance did you guys go back and watch the original wednesday dance from the 60s tv show versus the yeah this wednesday dance all right which is the winner in this three-way battle Oh, the modern day Wednesday dance, hands down. I mean, it's pretty impressive. There's another part of me, though, that feels like this dance feels a lot like that scene in Seinfeld where we watch a lane dance and they say it's like a dry heave set to music. Like there's also there's a little bit of that to the dance, too. (laughs) I thought there was a little Michael Jackson thriller thing going on in there. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I got to say the singer's name is Eric, but you know him better as Lux Interior. Actually, maybe you guys don't know him better. I love this band. (laughs) This is one of my favorite bands, The Cramps. So this has it all over the others, if for nothing else, the music. Mm -hmm. But I got to see him a couple of times. I saw him in Cincinnati. I saw him in Cleveland. It's really interesting to use Goo Goo Muck here because we've got a song that's literally about, well, first of all, it's, the cramps would do this a lot. They'd take an old rockabilly hit and then they'd change the lyrics a little bit, just a little bit. So this is a uh, Goo Goo Muck was an old 45. I forget who the original artist was. They redid it. They made it even more sexual. Like I'm a night head hunter looking for some head stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, this is really weird to be on mainstream TV nowadays because this was considered outrageous at the time. So if nothing else, the music, but I got to say Jenna Ortega really threw it all into the dance. And of course, we've all seen it because it went viral. I'm trying to remember if we're supposed to be able to eliminate any suspects after this episode. But I think the fact that they're attacking Eugene now 
the stakes feel higher of, you know, like, oh, now it's personal <laughs> kind of thing. You reap what you woe. Episode five. This is the episode where families come to visit Nevermore School. This, of course, is where Morticia and Gomez fell in love, but also Wednesday knows that her father was involved with a murder. And while they're having the family come and visit, the sheriff, who has been waiting 30 years to crack this case because he knew that the full truth wasn't out there, had Gomez arrested so that I guess they could retry the case or so he could finally get what he deserves, according to the sheriff. Even Morticia lays a rose and breaks off the bud and puts it on that former victim's grave. And Wednesday witnesses this. She goes to visit her dad in jail and talks to him about it. He tells her that he was the one who did it. But she doesn't fully believe it because she knows his tells. They used to play poker together and she knew all of his tells. So she knew that he wasn't completely telling the truth, but she wanted to trust him. And then she does go see her friend in the hospital. She talks to his moms, which I thought that was cool. You know, kid, he had two moms. They stopped in the hospital while she was there. Of course, they were thankful that she came to visit. And they told her that she was, like, his only real friend. So you can see this is where Wednesday kind of starts to soften a little bit. And then enter Christina Ricci. The Snape of this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which Bianca is in this class, and Wednesday basically one-ups her again. Yeah, and Bianca's the Draco of this class. So, uh, all right, sorry. Yeah. Yes. Enough yeah. with the Harry Potter. I know, I know, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Enid, her roommate, is feeling the pressure to wolf out because her family comes to visit, too, and she hasn't changed into a wolf yet. Don't you just want to be normal? Yeah, they were going to send her to a summer camp for kids that haven't wolfed out yet. <laughs> Uh, conversion therapy conversion therapy that's what they call it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> thoughts guys on this episode i thought that it gave a new depth to bianca's character because at first Bianca's just like the generic mean girl villain and then we find out that like her mom is way worse and she's got shit she's dealing with yeah her mom's in a cult yeah yeah and her stepdad is demanding that bianca come back but bianca's like i'm finishing out my school year first yep and learning more about enid i mean it's actually it's a great storytelling device to kind of just like take a pause from the murder mystery for a second and do some character development it's also interesting you know I don't know whether now this is canon about Gomez and Morticia and, you know, their love stories slash, you know, uh, murder. <laughs> I'll tell you what is canon or has been mentioned in almost all of the Adams family stuff prior to this was that Gomez originally was supposed to date or something set up with Morticia's sister and ends up with Morticia instead in fact, I think there are episodes where Morticia's sister would show up in the old show. 
I don't know if there was any reference to that in this. She would have had to have been at Nevermore because that's where Morticia meets Gomez. So I don't remember Mm -hmm. if they mentioned that in the show at all. And as far as the murder goes, there was a kid that was infatuated with Morticia. And she did not feel the same way about him. And she started seeing Gomez. She went with Gomez to the Raven dance. And that really upset him. And he went crazy and tried to kill Gomez. Which Gomez claimed to Wednesday during this episode that he was the one who killed this guy. Quid pro quo. Joe. Back to our intertwining whodunit and history delving plots. Wednesday now is getting a better handle on some of her special powers, and she attempts to use them to summon Goody, her ancestor, to understand more the history there, because Wednesday's starting to get a sense, like, maybe these things are connected. (laughs) So... We get a surprise birthday party in this episode, which I actually thought was really charming and well done. I remember watching it and just sort of getting this feeling like I really desperately wanted Wednesday to be happy about what they pulled off. Because I actually thought they did a good job with the surprise birthday party. And I don't even really like surprise birthday parties. But anyway, I digress. Those are some of the highlights before we get to the meat of the episode, which is sort of like a classic haunted house horror movie kind of setup. Wednesday is now taking the information we learned in the last episode about Garrett Gates and the mystery surrounding the Gates family. Goody had instructed her also to seek out the Gates mansion, so here we go. When we get there, turns out it may not be quite as unoccupied or unloved as it seemed before. Because Mayor Walker also was visiting the Gates Mansion. And when they go inside, they find recently cut flowers by one of the beds. Leading them to believe that maybe Laurel Gates, Garrett's younger sister, who was presumed dead for a long time, might actually still be alive. Oh dear, the plot thickens. (laughs) And then the monster shows up. And we get an amazing chase scene through the abandoned house where they're trying to find secret passages and whatnot to get away from the monster. Um, Are we, Eric, are we doing spoilers in this episode, in this? Go for it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I just like, before we get too much further into this, because we're going to start ruining things. (laughs) Well, hang on just a second. Let me sound the spoiler alert and then... All right. <laughs> okay. Now th- now that we know that Laurel may be alive, there's a good chance that Laurel is behind whatever this is and is probably working with the monster in some capacity. So now it's a double who done it. Who's the monster and where's Laurel? Right. Oh, and Mayor Walker is killed at the end of this episode, eliminating him as one of the potential suspects. <laughs> right. Right. Boy, it gave me the heebie-jeebies when they went into that house. Agreed. Yeah, because I was like, you know, all these people are supposed to be dead. There's fresh-cut flowers. They're sneaking around in here. Lord only knows what's going to happen. And then it turned into a chase scene. 
I was like, okay, there it is. Um. <laughs> and the scene where they find the trophies of the victims, super creepy in the secret yes. cellar compartment, like all the severed body parts. That was also pretty creepy. Yeah, that 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 reminded me of the X-Files. Yeah, yeah. Let's just get into the last two episodes, which are going to be spoilery. I think we're down to the last two. Yeah. Yep. Seven and eight. Episode seven. If you don't woe me by now. So this opens at Mayor Walker's funeral. And while they're attending this funeral, Wednesday's looking for the killer, which she thinks will be here. And she sees someone lurking at the edge of the woods. She follows him and gets into a duel with him before it's revealed that it is Uncle Fester. Yep. Finally see Uncle Fester in the show. And I got to say, the cast, Fred Armisen, <laughs> who we last saw in Portlandia, I guess, like perfect casting. I was totally happy because he has the perfect combination of sort of creepy, weird but also funny, like Jackie Coogan was great in this role. Christopher Lloyd was great in this role. It was going to be hard to fill those shoes and they managed to find someone who could do it. I agree. Yeah. He was awesome. Like really funny, believably demented. You were on his side, like immediately, like I'll follow oh, yeah. this guy anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They added some real depth to Uncle Fester's character because in the original Adams Family, he shows up every so often, sticks a light bulb in his mouth, and that's about it. In this, we find out that he's on the run from the law. So he's like an actual criminal of some <laughs> sort. <laughs> Wednesday agrees to hide him for one night in Eugene's barn, provided he doesn't eat the bees. <laughs> yeah so like when he first goes at it we think he's gonna eat the honey no he wants to eat the bees themselves of course fester agrees to that he also tells her that he thinks the creature she's looking for is a hide now a hide is a creature that apparently is within a person and like it can be unlocked by chemical means as in dr jekyll and mr hyde or it can be unlocked by hypnosis mm-hmm immediately she thinks Dr. Kinbot knows hypnosis. Maybe she's the one behind all this and Xavier's her pawn. Enid comes back to the room looking for her silver nail polish. Wednesday starts an argument with her immediately. So they break up again. I don't know, whatever. Wednesday sneaks into the Nightshade's library, but she runs into Xavier there, accuses him of being the monster and starts an argument with him. So basically Wednesday just starts an argument everywhere she goes. Mm, yeah. Classic penultimate episode setup. <laughs> oh yeah. Wednesday then reads up on hides and finds out they're dormant until someone unlocks them. Fester and Wednesday, they decide to tail Xavier in uncle Fester has this Dalmatian spotted motorcycle with a sidecar which apparently yeah. is like his idea of like being unobtrusive. So they see Xavier get into Dr. Kinbot's car. So now she's convinced that those are the two. She goes to Principal Weems with this, but Weems takes Kinbot's side on it. So then they go to talk to Tyler. 
But when they're in the coffee house talking to Tyler, the sheriff shows up. So they have to end up covering for Uncle Fester, who manages to disappear somehow <laughs> right in the nick of time. Tyler asks Wednesday on another date, and she agrees. So they meet at Crackstone's Crypt to watch a scary movie. All right. Scary movie in Wednesday terms is legally blonde. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was awesome. Tyler wants to be more than friends with Wednesday, but she says she's not friend material, let alone more than friend material. But she ends up kissing him anyway until his dad, the sheriff, shows up with his deputies and they raid the place. Wednesday's room is ransacked. Faulkner's diary is stolen. Thing is impaled through the palm to the wall with the dagger. And we think Thing is dead. But Fester has electric powers and uses them to revive or reanimate Thing. Yeah, that was a neat scene. That's when we saw Wednesday cry. Yeah. Like one single solitary tear. Yeah, and I like sobbed. <laughs> Just I know. Like, I was like, no, not thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm attached now. I can't. <laughs> so Fester then has to split because all the law enforcement showing up here. Wednesday then goes to Larissa and Marilyn with the news and Faulkner's diary. And she talks to the nightshades. Basically, Bianca and Lucas tell her about the mansion's former owner, Laurel Gates, who they think is bent on revenge against all of them, the entire school. Wednesday suspects that Dr. Kinbot's behind the killer, but then Kinbot is killed. So Wednesday confronts Xavier and again accuses him of being the the monster when, again, Sheriff and his deputies storm the place and they arrest Xavier and throw him in jail. At the very end, Wednesday and Enid reconcile and she's discovered emotions at this point. She, like, hugs her. She goes back to Tyler and they go to pick up where they left off. But before they can kiss, as soon as they make contact, she has another vision. She sees the doctor attacked by Tyler. And now she realizes, and the quote at the end of the episode, of course, my first kiss is with a serial killing monster. (laughs) After rewatching episode two. Yep. The way he reacted to her looking for this monster. I could hindsight's 2020, you know, rewatching, rewatching episodes is 2020. <laughs> and uh, that's when I saw like his little tells like, oh, oh, you're, you're still looking into that, huh? Oh, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> and, and I, I think, I mean, they dropped hints way early into the series on this one. Yeah, there was a lot packed into that episode. I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, you know, I kind of wondered about Tyler's feelings for Wednesday. Are any of them real or not? Because in the early episodes, like his jealousy of Xavier, for instance, like seems like a real emotion and not just like he's trying to lead Wednesday down the wrong path. So I thought that's just kind of an interesting 
thing for the show to be sort of playing with is this sense that like inevitably you're going to end up desiring the thing that is the most dangerous to you, <laughs> like whether you're Wednesday or Tyler. I love the pacing of this episode. It's just lightning fast. You know, you go from being certain, like it's definitely Dr. Kinbot to like, it's definitely not Dr. Kinbot <laughs> within a few minutes. And I just love that kind of whiplash with an investigative show like this. There's no point in wasting any time. Let's get to the finale, A Murder of Woes. This episode ties up every narrative loose thread. And then, of course, there's a big reveal. But I actually think they did a good job of having a satisfying ending to each part of the narrative. Like Principal Weems, for instance. That's what I was about to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gets a really satisfying ending. Uh, she's been sort of like half ally, half villain. We know that she's got history with Wednesday's parents. And so like we haven't really known how to feel like which side is Weems going to end up on? Is she going to be a stick in the mud the entire way, preventing Wednesday from solving this problem? But in the end, Weems ends up being a true ally and gets a good death. Yes. Yeah. Bianca, who also turns out to be an ally, goes to Weems and tells her, and Weems calls the sheriff. It was this episode where Wednesday goes to see Xavier in jail, and he's just like, leave, get out of here. You're the whole reason I'm here, you know? So I'm surprised he talked to her at all. Eugene recovers, finally, and he has like... Candyman B powers too, right? Yes. <laughs> what? That just—I love that description of it. <laughs> I think we have to talk about Enid. Who? Enid? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you know, this entire time we've been sort of waiting for Enid to come into her own, and in this episode, like she, she wolfs out. Yeah, she, she wolfs, wolfs she wolfs out and she becomes a total badass and actually just in terms of the way they portrayed the fight scenes she participates in like it's it wasn't wolfing out in just a symbolic way like she fought like a monster like it just I was really psyched to see that that they weren't afraid to show her being really tough and getting hurt yeah, apparently Emma Myers had to train for this by going to werewolf camp. <laughs> they had a werewolf camp day on set. All the werewolves had to walk around on all fours. And then there were like stunt men who were sheep. And so they had to like attack the sheep. Now, keep in mind, I don't know how old Emma Myers is. She's pretty young. So imagining her pouncing on like stunt men and stuff like that and devouring them seems a little weird but yeah they had to do that <laughs> yeah one of my favorite scenes in the in the whole episode is when Enid finally wolfed out and just turned into a complete and total badass she did an amazing job and of course like she did it in defense of her friend that's what it took her friends had to be in trouble and that's kind of what triggered her into wolfing out so now she doesn't have to go to that weird wolf camp <laughs> <laughs> are we going to talk about the torture scene because wednesday like pulls out a couple of tasers and like we go full guantanamo at one point on at, in this yeah when she's trying to bring the height out yeah did that not shock anyone else 
pardon the pun. <laughs> it shocked me, but when she had like everything set up and all of them, all the stuff to torture, I was like, well, this is a callback to her childhood. This is stuff she used to do to Pugsley. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like when I watched the episode before we revisited all the other Adams Family bits, it was more shocking. But then after looking at all the clips from the older episodes, like she was going to brand Pugsley in one of the other clips we watched. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that was just for fun, just because. <laughs> so this suddenly didn't, you know, in retrospect, this level of torture seems totally in character and normal and, you know, possibly even tame relative to the other Wednesdays we've seen. Okay, well, you know, not all the the rest of them thought that. No. <laughs> Even Bianca was like, no, I'm out. I'm out on this one. You're on your own if you want to sit there and torture this guy. And then they ran off and told Principal Weems what was going on. And and uh, Principal Weems was having none of that. All right. We put it off long enough. I saw this coming. I have to admit that I actually predicted this. Turns out Marilyn's Laurel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is one of these things like casting, like, you know, like whoever Christina Ricci is playing is not just going to be the token Snape character. Like, there's got to be more like, why have her in the show if not to do something really cool with that character? Whatever. Right. And why else would a normie be a teacher in that school? That was kind of a tell to me. I watched it with someone else who didn't see that coming. So I think they did it good enough. I'm just really good or bad about predicting like mysteries. Usually I'm like, okay, I think I know what's going on here. Yeah. I think if it hadn't been for the casting, it may have been more of a, like it could still be anyone kind of thing. But when Christina Ricci, like when you know it's her, you, you sort of immediately think like, how cool would it be if they decided like to bring her into the show as the villain? Like, but otherwise I thought it was really well done. The character of Thornhill was very believable as a sympathetic friend to Wednesday up until this point. I uh, was disappointed for Wednesday on that one, just because I thought Miss Thornhill was so kind to her for being different because Miss Thornhill was different from all of the rest of the teachers. So I thought that there was an aspect there where she was, being relatable but really she was just being manipulative so (laughs) there's a reunification between xavier and wednesday who puts his name his info in her contacts and they're going to get back in touch next year if this series gets renewed which apparently it is getting renewed so we will see oh i'm super excited I think one of the major themes throughout the season is Wednesday really being committed to her independence. And we see that erode over the course of the season as she develops friendships, begins to care for other people, or finds some satisfaction in belonging in some ways. And then in in this last episode, she discovers she's really over her head. It, this is the first time and she loses her confidence and her control over what's going on. And it's really, thank goodness, that all of these people that she had alienated at one point or another over the course of the season still had her back. Right. 
I like that character arc that they created for her. And I think even though like in some ways you could look at the ending as being almost a little bit too Disney for this of like, oh, you discover the importance of having friends. Like, I actually feel like they earned it and and that the payoff was good. Yeah, I think they did it pretty good. Yeah. If you like the show, tell somebody else about it. Just like get one other person to listen to it. I'm not asking you to tell everybody. Sure, you could do that. would be perfectly happy. But if you get one other person to listen to it, that would be awesome. If you want to write to us, we have an email. It's gc8podcast, letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Rosie. This is Johanna. Signing off. So now she doesn't have to go to that weird wolf camp.